0: through Romans. And as we are coming through Romans, Paul is getting to a point where he's beginning to talk about an inheritance. And this became particularly real for me yesterday. I don't know if anybody else did, but I do find that the royalty is a little bit interesting to me. And so I was watching the coronation yesterday of the king. And what I realized is, yes, this is one recipient of what was promised to him based on his life, based on the family that he was born in. So he is the heir to the throne. And yesterday they celebrated him taking the throne because that was his inheritance. And even as I began to do a little bit more research, I was like, well, what if they all just die out? What happens? And then I found out that it's actually the head of the Church of England whose family becomes the next in the line. And so what it quickly made me realize is in their family, there is a lineage that is passed down for them. And what they all become is the heir to the throne. And so we're going to be talking about today what it actually means for Christians to be heirs, Christians who are heirs to the promise that God made to Abraham and what that actually means in terms of our own lives. What does that mean? And what are we actually inheriting? And so just like we did on Bible study, I probably will be affirming some things that are true, but also deconstructing some things that we may have believed about what that inheritance is. And so the title of today's sermon is Strange Land, Strange Land. And it all revolves around what Paul speaks about in this text when he talks about what our actual inheritance is. And so As I did before, I will be answering, asking and answering some questions in this sermon. But before we do that, we do have to realize that what Paul essentially is teaching us is that our current home, the inheritance that was promised to us, our current home, the way that it is constantly constituted is not the place that we will actually reside, not in the state that it's in. And so what he's going to show us is that even if we were born into families that couldn't leave us an inheritance, there has been an inheritance left for us and that we will acquire it. So go with me if you will. We're going to be in Romans chapter four. We're going to start in the 13th verse and we're going to go all, all the way down to verse 25. Romans four thirteen through 25. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the inheritance of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and void and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to get into the word again this week, as we get ready to eat from the table of your word, God, um, there is such rich truth. But God, I realize that many of us, some of us may be in this room who feel like we are going through the motions and we look ahead of ourselves, whether that's tomorrow, next week, a month, next year, or into eternity, and we question where the hope is. We question if the things that we do are actually done with a purpose. So God, what I hope we do today is solidify the fact that we do have an inheritance, and that if we are faithful to you, your promise is true, that we will one day acquire that inheritance. Help us see that, and help us have hope in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I was having a conversation recently with a few of the students because there's one thing I like to do with the students. I like to ask them, particularly when they don't really seem like they have a lot of direction in life, when they don't really seem to be participating in life. I always ask them, where are you going? Where are you going? And like, what do you mean? I say, well, just tell me what you want to do in your career. And a lot of times, those same kids who are struggling to have meaning in today don't really have a hope in tomorrow. And so a lot of their decisions, they're made without thinking that this affects what happens tomorrow. And so I like to give them this illustration. I say, well, think about it like this. I was like, the only thing that makes traveling by car worth anything is the destination I hate driving a car to go anywhere play me up Scotty like I do not like driving but I hate riding in the car more than I hate driving to the destination but the only thing that ever makes the destination worthy the thing that justifies the journey is that when you get to where you're going it is as good or better than you had anticipated. And so when I'm in a car, I'm driving because I know I have a destination. Now, the problem is, is if anybody ever gets in a car and they have no destination, either they will just drive to nowhere and nothingness, they'll turn around and go back home, or they'll pull over to the side of the road till they figure out where they're actually going. Y'all, it is the same for us as Christians. If we don't believe that the decisions we make in the life we live right now has us on a trajectory to a specific end in Christ, then we will not find any meaning or purpose in the life that we live right now. And if we think that that destination is that we will unclothe our flesh and float around in heaven as spirits, then some of us may not actually want to get there. So what is this inheritance? Well, Paul starts here by saying something interesting. He actually says something different than what God had promised to Abraham. Now, we know what the promise to Abraham was, and he recounted it. The promise to Abraham was that you will be the father of many nations and many people will come from you. And he says, as great as the stars are in the heavens, so shall your offspring be, which means there'll be so many people that come from Abraham that we wouldn't even be able to number it. But when Paul comes to this moment where he quotes what the promise is, he doesn't even mention that. He says that the promise to Abraham was that he and we would be heirs of the world. Heirs of the world. That is that those who have faith in God would inherit the world. Now, let's reflect on that promise. God tells him that he would make a great nation. He tells him that his offspring will be impossible to number. But somehow, Paul has translated this to be, but you and your people will be heirs of the world. Your offspring will inherit the world. So let's ask and hopefully answer the first question, the first of two questions in today's sermon. What does it mean to inherit the world? What does it mean to inherit the world? Probably want to write that down, make a mental note. And it's it's not really that complex to start with. Like I mentioned about the king, we know that an inheritance is left by a family member for those members of the family who remain alive. Or for those a person considers to be family. I know y'all probably don't want me ruining another movie, but at this point, what can I do? So if you haven't seen Knives Out, I am literally ruining it for you in this moment. Spoiler alert. So in the movie, there's this rich man. And he has his big house and he has a lot of money and he's a great writer. And essentially his whole family is only nice and kind to him because they want his inheritance. And so all of the time they spend around him, all the niceties they pay to him, they become yes men and yes women because essentially when he dies, what do they want? They want their inheritance. Well, of course, in the course of the movie, he dies. And when he dies, they all come to the reading of the will. I am definitely ruining this for you. They come to the reading of the will and they sit down And he says that he leaves his house, his money, everything, his publishing rights, not to his family, but to his nurse. And everyone looks at her in anger and in shock. And in that moment, in one fell swoop, she went from being outside the family to being an heir. Now, why was she the heir? Because she knew that he owed her nothing. And so she treated him with kindness and with respect and love. All the things that his actual family didn't do. And so what happens is, even though they were born of blood by this man, she was adopted. Therefore, she received the inheritance. In her case, she inherited money and a house. But the promise to Abraham and his believers is that they have an inheritance. Now, one of the most common mistakes that I think people make in this text is that they think that salvation is the inheritance. But how do we know that salvation isn't the inheritance? Because we've already learned from Paul that there is a distinct difference between salvation and which Paul calls a gift and then this other inheritance let me make let me take a second to make this point clear if you are saved if you are in this room and you are a Christian you have received a gift that gift is your salvation god gave you that gift of salvation not because you are good but because He is good. But now that you have received such a gift, in that gift, you have also received an inheritance. Because in him giving you the gift of salvation, he also gave you a new name and a new family by which an inheritance has been passed down to you just like that nurse. And no, none of us was actually born by blood into the right family, but we have been adopted by blood, that being the blood of Jesus, into this family. Therefore, we have an inheritance. And Paul, y'all, to make it clear, says that that inheritance is the world. Now, anytime you're in church and you start talking about the world, everybody talk, the world. Be not. Don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be. But Paul says that we have inherited the world. Now, do we ever hear about believers inheriting the world? Because I know you're going to think that I've lost my mind, that I'm a heretic, that I'm making this up. You say the Bible never says that we inherit the world. Well, actually, it does. And not only does it say it, but it is from the greatest sermon that has ever been given in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. I don't know what we thought this meant, but Jesus says it matter of factly in Matthew 5 and 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, here Jesus is saying what Paul echoes. The meek shall inherit the earth. Maybe this is not the world and earth as we think it is, though. When we look at our world from where we are, we see a world that is dominated by sin, by racism, by injustice, inequity, by abuse, by sexual immorality, violence, hatred, sickness and death. We are in a world, y'all, that is dominated, that is run. The very systems that control this world are evil. Like the very systems of our world are designed and maintained by evil men. That wickedness that Paul says is in high places. So when Jesus speaks about us inheriting the earth and when Paul speaks about us being heir to the world, Is this the world we actually even want to inherit? I realize that many of us have fashioned in ourselves this belief that if I can just get through this life to the next life, then I'll be good. But maybe that's not what the promise is for us as believers. How can we reconcile this? Well, if you haven't already put on your proverbial seatbelt, probably a good time to do that. It's story time. The beginning of this journey for us is all the way in Genesis. When Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden as the result of their sin, this began a lifelong journey of all peoples to get to the land that God had promised. On Wednesday, we talked about God's pattern of redemption. But in that pattern of redemption is that God takes people out of a place to send them to another place, a place that is redeemed and a place that is restored. Now, some people have made the mistake regarding this. If this song is in your playlist, go ahead and throw it out. Let's get back to Eden. We want to live on top of the world. But that is not the case. We even see this theme over and over again with the Israelites. They are set to journey to this land that God has promised them, but it is their constant sin and their distrust that continually leads them to be displaced. God promised them that they would inherit the promised land, but their sins always serve as an injunction against that. Even more so, This instruction is given to them when they should inherit the land out of Leviticus. He says, but when you get that land, you should keep my statutes and my rules. Do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out, then make you unclean as it is vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. He tells them that if they violated God's commandments, then they would be cast out of the land. Just like we saw Adam and Eve cast out of the garden. This is no different than a conversation I had with a student recently who had gotten in trouble. And he had not been doing his work to the level of expectation that his father had for him. And so he was on the phone with his father in my office, and I could literally hear his dad yelling through the phone. And something that he said really stuck with me. He said, and if you think you're getting my challenger, you're wrong. Until you get your grades right, you are not getting my car. And essentially what happened is he had made a promise to his son that if you do what you need to do, you will inherit my car. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you will lose this inheritance. God here, speaking of the land that he was giving the Israelites, also gave them some conditions to keep that inheritance. But this has spurred for all of us a lifelong struggle. And I don't know about you, but my constant feeling in this world. I don't really feel like I belong. I don't really feel like the world wants me here. I feel like the principles and the values and the morals that I have to be a good husband, be a good Christian, be a good father. I feel like the the world is actually working against all that I want to be in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but in this world, I feel like an outcast. I feel like a minority of the minority of the minority. I feel like the systems and the people who run this world do so without me in mind. And that as a Christian, I just don't belong in this world. And y'all, this has to be our struggle collectively. We wrestle with the feeling of wanting to find meaning in this world and in this life, but it feels so foreign. Can't just be me. Can't just be me. But maybe it feels foreign because we are quite literally foreigners in a foreign land. We believe differently. We see people differently. We see the world differently. And we have evidence of this in Scripture from Hebrews. If you go to Hebrews 11 and 12, the Hebrew writer makes this point. He says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Look at the point that the Hebrew writer makes here. He says that all the people he spoke of died in the faith and they never received the things that were promised. But if you know this, many of them, actually did end up dwelling in the promised land that God said they would have. So yes, some of them died in the faith, but Joshua and Caleb made it to the promised land and so did their descendants. We saw that with them. So what does he mean? These all died in the faith, not receiving the things promised. We have evidence that some of them received the things promised unless... That promised land was not the full promise. What if the promised land was a glimpse of eternity for all of us? Maybe the land that they were expecting to inherit, they are still waiting to inherit. So that should bring us to the next question. How should we live? How should we live? If one, I feel like I've been displaced in this world. If I feel like this world is not designed for me, if I feel like an outcast, if I feel like God has prepared an inheritance for me. How should I live until I I acquire that inheritance? And the simplest answer that I can offer is that we should live like you do in a college dorm. And the best way I can describe that is, is like this. I remember moving into my dorm as a freshman, and it was this twofold struggle. On one hand, I knew that the dorm was going to be small, and so I had to be extremely intentional about what I took with me. But secondly, I knew that I was never intending to live in that dorm forever. So I resisted making in that time a lot of purchases that I wouldn't want to have to move later on. On top of the fact I ain't had no money. I knew I would be moving out of that dorm. And so I made a point to live like I would be moving out. Y'all, we are, in fact, strangers in a strange land. We are renters. We are travelers, travelers who are settling our campers here for a very short time. But we will move on. Now, some people think that that means that Christians should find less joy and fulfillment in this world But I actually think that means that we should find more joy and more fulfillment in this world. As Christians, we have been called to make something out of the world. And Jesus makes it clear in this world, as long as there are Christians, we are the only hope. We are the only light. We have to be the ones who are having an influence on the way that people live, the way that people think, the way that people act, the way they treat one another, the way they treat children, the way they handle every life in the image of God. Without us, the world has no hope. That means that we do need to get jobs and we do need to be artists and singers and poets and dancers and actors and preachers and lawyers and doctors. Because while we here, the instruction has been given to us that we are to make something out of this world. That's our purpose. How do we know that? Jesus doesn't say live in absentia until I return. He says live in a way that men and women would see your works and glorify your father. God has called us and gifted us to live in this world even though we are moving out. Ain't nothing wrong with renovating it. Ain't nothing wrong with having a little impact on the world that we're in. And if we know God's pattern and plan of redemption, then our hope should be to make this world more beautiful. Stamped with the goodness of God. Jesus said that as we live here, we are not hermit crabs. People should see what we do. Christians make something out of this world. There's this episode of Arthur, and in it, he is begging and begging his parents to buy him this really cool and expensive bike. And after begging for that bike for a while, he finally gets it. And then once he does, he's too scared to ride it. When his friends are having fun riding through the grass and the mud and the forest, he doesn't want to ruin his bike. He was so invested in that bike that he could only think about how he could preserve it, but not actually enjoy it. Y'all, my fear is that there are many professing Christians who are living as if they have no place to go. Who instead of going out and enjoying and living and making an impact and stamping the world with the beauty of God's goodness... We are holding ourselves up in our houses until Jesus returns. Those people are building for themselves these little kingdoms that are built in sand. Beautiful, but destined to be washed away. But this is the interesting thing. It is not the people who build their kingdoms who are remembered. It is those who are strong, storing their riches with Christ, who will leave their mark. The Hebrew writer mentions all of these great people, but most of them in their day were insignificant. Most of them would have no idea that their words and their lives have been canonized in Scripture. Yet they have their legacies of faith that have lasted generations. And how does he say that they're able to do this? He said they were able to have influence because they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And they desired a better country than the one they'd been in. And God is the builder and maker. And he has prepared for them, for us, a permanent dwelling place. Because they knew that there was an eternal city that awaited them, they could live their lives on God's terms. They could lay it all on the line, trusting in him who provided for them an inheritance. Our inheritance is not our salvation. Our inheritance is the city that God has made us heir to. Heirs to it as the result of our adoption into this new family. How do we know that salvation isn't the inheritance? Well, finally, we'll look at Ephesians 1.11. Paul writes this. He says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul makes four important points. He says, one, we have obtained an inheritance. Two, we have yet to acquire it. Three, the spirit is the guarantee that we will inquire it and four, the spirit seals us so that we will not lose possession of it. We know that this is not referring to salvation because we have attained and been gifted salvation. And while salvation is a gift, salvation is not the inheritance. The inheritance for us is that we will all ultimately reside in a new earth. The actual land that God has promised. Where we will continue to cultivate and live and sing and make art and grow, and dance, and we'll do all those things, black and white, male and female. We'll just do it without the sin. Can you imagine that? And the promise, which is so beautiful, on the days when I feel more out of the faith than I do in, he says, but no, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. You will acquire the inheritance. As bad as the days get, as dark as your heart may feel, as lonely as your thoughts may be, the sign that you will inherit this land is that he has given you a guarantee in the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says in our Romans text about Abraham. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. He hoped in the words of God, even when he was beyond age or it took time or even when he sinned against God, he hoped anyway that the words of God were true. In this we hope. It makes so much sense. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Y'all, we are hoping for the dawning of a new day. In the midst of our darkness when all life starts to pile up on us and it gets harder and harder for us to see clearly the light. Let us hope. Against hope. And let us believe that we are strangers in a strange land. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for hope. God, I know I'm not the only one in the room who struggles to hold on to that hope. But God this text and this word, Lord, it just it reinvigorates me of my calling, of our calling here. God, your instructions to Adam, even before sin was that he was to make something of the ground. God, you have created us to create something else, to make something out of this world, to make it beautiful. God, let us not sit down and rest on our laurels as we await the acquiring of our inheritance. God, let us do something. Let us, God, live. Let us live like we know we have somewhere to go. And God, we know that when that beautiful city comes down and you redeem and restore this earth, the years of traveling and the journey, it'll be worth it. Because we know that if you have prepared a place for us, the place that you have promised to us. God, then we have hope. And Lord, in that we hope even if it is hoping against hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.